This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. The format for our conversations on DMOU is elegantly simple. It's three questions and a bonus round. And today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. Mike Gamble and his team uncover the talent that's out there that isn't looking, meaning that clients get a far richer candidate base from which to choose than just placing ads in publications and online. And their client satisfaction rate across multiple metrics is 98%. If you're looking for a new opportunity or if you're looking for the perfect candidate, call them. You can learn more at searchwideglobal.com. And now on to our show. Today's guest is Al Hutchinson, who joined Visit Baltimore as president and CEO in November of 2016. As the chief executive of the city's official destination sales and marketing organization, he is responsible for overseeing the promotion of Baltimore to leisure travelers and convention business while demonstrating the impact of tourism on the city and the state. Al boasts more than 27 years of experience in the destination marketing industry, including a stint as CEO of Visit Mobile, and has earned recognition for his leadership throughout his career and is a popular presenter at industry conferences. Most recently, he was recognized as one of the Daily Record's most admired CEOs in Maryland. A Richmond, Virginia native and proud University of Alabama alumni, alongside his wife, Yunae, he is the proud father of Asia and Jalen Hutchinson. And outside of work, Al enjoys listening to jazz music and rooting for the Crimson Tide. Al Hutchinson, welcome to DMOU. Thank you, Bill, for having me. Absolutely. We've been looking forward to this call for quite some time. But before we get to your three questions and bonus round, tell us how Baltimore has fared during the past nine months and what 2021 looks like for your community. Well, thanks for the question, Bill. And like most cities around the country, um, travel and tourism, we've been decimated probably between March and December of this year have lost uh, about $90 million in economic impact for business for our convention center. Personally, my staff, our budget was cut 41%. So we laid off 42 part-timers, 22 full-timers, closed our New York office, closed our local visitor center here in Baltimore City. So it's been really tough time period, but we've pivoted, Bill, and really have made a commitment to help support our small businesses throughout Baltimore with you know, PPE with masks and hand sanitizer deliveries to our hoteliers, our restaurateur community, our museums. So we wanted to make sure we partner with our community the best we could to help our small businesses to survive. You know, you and so many DMOs across the country, as I wrote recently on our Z News commentary, this has never been in our DNA. And yet, maybe this was one of those genetic markers that was baked into our DNA that we just never saw before, that at our core, we are about supporting small business and independent business in our communities. And I can't be more proud of this sector at what you and your peers have done to go from an outward-facing organization to an inward-facing organization on a dime and really bringing the help that so many community uh, business partners needed in this time. No, I totally agree with you, Bill. And, you know, the the sad uh, commentary is that our small businesses, most of them, their marketing budgets are just eliminated completely. And and a lot of our larger hotels have no marketing budget. So in the DMO space, we've become the de facto marketing agency for the coffee shop down the street, the bookstore, 
the brewery in your community. So they look to us now, probably more so than ever, to help them with their storytelling. And so I think you're right. The pandemic has really helped us to look more inwardly and rightfully so. And I, I think it's a good thing for us to do our part to help the small businesses in our communities. Yeah. And our local governments really need to see that at this moment in time. So here's my first question for you. The, the summer's protests demanding social and racial justice served as a clarion call for all of us to become much more engaged in affecting change. There was a moment in time this past summer that you, along with 20 other black DMO leaders, penned an open letter that slapped many of us across the face. If I can read a short passage from that, the letter said, we are further saddened by the deafening silence, and silence was in capital letters, from many of our peers and colleagues in this industry. To paraphrase civil rights activist Eldridge Cleaver, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. This industry must and will change. How will be determined by the actions we take now? One thing is for sure, going forward, we can no longer do business as usual. Tell us the Genesis story of how this letter came together and what response you and your peer signatories received and experienced after the letter broke. Yeah, thanks for that, um, Bill. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, the pandemic happened in March. None of us knew in February we we're going to be faced with the crisis of our generation. And shortly after the pandemic happened, then we get this uprising of, of social issues across the country. And probably uh, George Floyd's situation led it, but then Breonna Taylor and, and the Aubrey case down in Georgia, yeah. uh, a number of those cases happened. And, and really, I think being at home, most of us were watching on live TV these sort of killings at the hands of some of the local police departments. And really, seven African-American uh, DMO leaders came together at first. And we really just came together to really help each other get through this process. So sometimes doing something organically is the best way to get things going. And so the seven of us just wanted to start a conversation. Uh, I think collectively, we probably have close to 200 years of experience in this industry. All of us were from seven different DMOs. And we just wanted to have a conversation with each other. Um, try to help each other emotionally get through this this time period and and then try to reckon with what is really going on. What are we seeing and what what should we do as leaders in a DMO space? So that's where it started, just having a really uh, conversation with one another and trying to keep each other's spirits up. But as we talked further, because again, all of us have served on committees throughout the industry, we've been on boards throughout the industry, We've been uh, a part of the, the good news story of travel and tourism, and we thought maybe this is the time for us as seven leaders to come together and make a statement to really challenge our industry to get better and then maybe use this platform and use our experience to bring some other uh, African-American leaders from other communities together and join us in this effort. So we wanted to because of a lot of the great work we've done in this industry, we also recognize very few of us of color in leadership positions. Very few destinations were really uh, taking account of how do we bring more young leaders of color into the industry? How do we move them through the ranks? How do we recruit better? How do we retain? And so we partnered with 
Black traveling meetings with, with Saul and, and Gloria Herbert to help us craft the story. And again, Bill, the main intent on this was we wanted to let the industry know that mm-hmm. this industry has done great things for us individually. We're very uh, thankful and grateful for allowing us to grow in the industry. But now it was time for us as an industry to collectively come together and figure out how do we develop solutions for each individual destination, as well as, as some of our partners. And I would say to you, um, I think it was received very well. It, it did open some eyes. Uh, I've been a part of a number of different conversations uh, the last eight, nine months on different panels. But we were serious about this. And once we pinned the letter, we knew as uh, 20 of us, we were exposed. And a lot of our white counterparts would want to know, well, what's next? What are you asking us to do? And I would tell your listeners that this issue, because we're trying to eradicate racism, it's extremely important for our white friends to join us in this conversation. So we reached out to all the alphabet soups that all of us know, from ASAE to PCMA, MPI, Destination International, and we asked their senior leaders to come to a a call that we did in October. Mm -hmm. And we said, look, now's the time. We need to do something as a collective industry. Let's do something big to, for one time, uh, let's address this issue as an industry. So from that phone call, it was really recommended that the Events Industry Council, because all of these alphabet soups are members of that organization, that may be the right place to to fit this kind of charge, to keep it going. And so thankfully to um, Paul and, and Amy Calvert with, with uh, EIC and the other leadership throughout the industry, the Events Industry Council has really taken this charge on and they're going to create a task force early next year to continue to look at this issue. And the goal would be in probably six months, sometime May, June, to come back with a platform, if you will, of how, what are the actionable plans that we're asking the industry to, to take a good look at and to put some metrics to it. So we, we may not be where we want to be in 2021, but you know, a year from now, three years from now, we begin to benchmark how we're doing in hiring. What are we doing from our board development perspective? How are we really... Uh, changing the conversation about race in the destinations, but also with our our other business partners throughout the industry. So this is a journey, Bill. This is not an eight-month, a 10-month conversation. We're talking about an issue that has about 400 years of of bandwidth here. So we, we need to be very thoughtful, strategic, but we cannot be bashful and shy about having a conversation that we've kicked the can down the road too many times. And so the seven of us, and now it's a broader group of, of 20 plus who have come together from the African-American community. We think it's time to, to really make sure we do our part to make sure this industry looks better, has better leadership, better thoughtful folks, uh, part of what we do moving forward. So we're excited about where we're going. We're not where we need to be, but we're going to continue to push the envelope on this, have a very uh, inclusive conversations, and we want to be at the table to help lead it for sure. Yeah, and that's great to hear that this is a process because I got to tell you, I've I've talked to several DMO CEOs and and honestly, people from outside of our industry too, that there was this moment this summer 
where it was on everybody's mind. I mean, everybody was watching the video series of, you know, uncomfortable conversations, right? And everybody was, was, was all in. And then as, as one DMO CEO said to me a couple of weeks ago, he goes, it sounds like it's gone radio silent. Right. Was this just a thing? And clearly what you're saying is, is it isn't just a moment that you guys are, are involved, mm-hmm. you're, you're digging in, you're doing the hard work undercover. Not, not intentionally, but you're, you know, you're, you're not out in the media because you're busy crafting where this is going to lead. And I think that's great for us all to know, you know, and I'm as guilty as anybody, you know, when the Zoom calls started happening, talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, I was on those calls. And to listen to you and to Elliot Ferguson and others, you know, share your stories of when you're there to speak in an event and somebody thinks that you're a waiter. I've always known the concept of, you know, driving while black. And I never really connected the dots that it would happen to anybody I knew. I just figured it was the occasional thing when it's not the occasional thing. And people in our industry who are wildly successful professional marketers and salespeople, you guys deal with this on a daily basis. And it's like, you know, right. I think those, those calls during the summer open an awful lot of eyes. And I think that as you go through this process, I think there's going to be a lot of support for what we ultimately see. So let's move to the second question, which is, you know, you've been part of Destination International's DEI committee for a number of years, your co-chair right now. And the events of the summer saw that committee become really hyperactive. It, it, you'd kind of been, you know, going through the paces, but man, this summer it was like, boom, everything started back up again and started up hard. So tell us about the recently released committee report and the brand new CEO pledge that was launched in December at the CEO Summit. Yes, sir. And I, I believe this this question really speaks to the end of the, the last question from the perspective that it's not just going to take one entity to um, eradicate racism in this country. Everybody has a stake in it. Every organization has a stake. So to the credit of Destination International and, and under Don Walsh's leadership and Melissa Cherry has been just a rock star in leading this charge. Uh, DI has taken a leadership role in um, this topic of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and rightfully so. And what I'm most proud of as being a co-chair is that we have now had probably over 60 people throughout the Destination International space who are a part of this subcommittee to help craft the direction of where we need to go and what should this look like. And so there are a number of folks from a number of different destinations, big, medium, small, but also a lot of folks from the our strategic partner community who also know that this is an issue that they want to embrace and they want to change it as well. So there's a group of uh, folks who are very concerned about how they can be effective and make a change. And uh, to Diaz's credit, this has been a long process. I mean, it's been about two and a half years to get to this point. But it's been very thoughtful. Destination International went out and, and bought in a, a consultant, the Ladipo Group, that could help us navigate this space, along with voices from the destination uh, marketing industry. We felt it was extremely important as we did this work that we needed a commitment from the senior leadership in the DMO space. In most cases, it's your you know, your president, your CEOs, or your executive directors of, of DMOs, they had to be committed because this, this topic is so complex, if you will, 
it's a top-down process. And so this CEO pledge came about through some great work, but we wanted to make sure that as a part of the overall initiative, that CEOs would have to make a strong commitment. They have to commit personally that they're willing to take a deeper dive in this space. They need to learn about uh, different topics, whether it's a white privilege perspective, systemic racism perspective, they needed to get better. And and me, as a CEO, I need to get better. And if I make that commitment, then it will trickle down to, to our staff. So this is a, a, a big deliverable for uh, Destination International to bring to the industry. And I think one of the things, uh, one of the questions that came up about the CEO pledge is uh, perhaps we may want to take it out of the just the DMO space and have it in some of our, our partners, some of our business partners, we may want to develop a comparable CEO pledge for that group as well. Because again, it, it will take every entity in our travel and tourism space to correct this issue. And I will say to, to your listeners, though, there is a lot of great work going on in destinations right now. Yeah, A number of cities are doing some great work when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. A number of our associations are doing great work, uh, which is important. But I think at the end of the day, it would be really a strategic move and sort of uh, revolutionary, if you will, if we can get our entire industry to agree to five or six different points to drive this piece forward and then take that back to your communities, whether it's the DMO space or your association space, and then uh, sort of couple that with the work that's already being done. Because I, th- this, is a, this is a big topic, and it's going to take all of us to really be committed to it, to get better. And, you know, that is a brilliant concept that I had not thought of until this moment. And yet we're seeing examples of it uh, all over the country. I mean, you've got so many communities that have their clean and safe pledge that they've gotten their industry partners to buy into. You know, you've got Visit Mesa uh, and Mark Garcia, who has gotten something like 400 businesses in Mesa to essentially be certified to be autism friendly. This is just a perfect companion to that model, that concept that's already finding legs. So I, I think you're really onto something. And one last thing on this, Bill, what we didn't, the seven of us who really sort of started this conversation, what we did not want to happen is that diversity, equity, and inclusion topic would just be the next flavor of the month, if you will. This, yeah, is, yeah. this is something we have to continue to work on. It's not a two-year deal. This is five, 10. We have to keep it going, talk about it put some action steps in place and let, let's go get it done. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all the work that you've done. Uh, sad that it had to be the summer that we all would like to, to forget, but frankly, it, it, it's probably the summer that we all needed uh, in its own way uh, to get us focused and, and, and moving on. But Agreed. that's the work that you're doing on a broader national, international, global scale. I want to take our last question down locally for you, because what you've done over the past number of months in Baltimore uh, has been fascinating. You know, you've been busy with what, you know, we call the unusual suspect, right? I mean, they're they're kind of in our space, but they're not kind of in our space. And that's Guinness, as in the beer, right? Correct. You've got a wide-ranging partnership going with Guinness right now that not only is a way to extend Visit Baltimore's marketing reach, but it's also a way to train a brand new generation of hospitality executives and brewers of color. Tell us about all the fingers in this thing, because it is so, so amazing. 
uh, what you've created in Baltimore. Yeah, this new partnership with the Guinness Open Beer Brewery here in Baltimore, we're extremely excited about it. And really, this came about as well because of the social injustice issues happening around the country. To Guinness's credit, they wanted to make a difference, and they wanted to find out a way that they could be a part of, of the solution. You know, Guinness here in the Baltimore region, this is the first manufacturing plant outside of Dublin in the U.S. So Guinness has an international brand, yeah. but they're also now socially committed to do something and make a difference in the communities where they do work. So they came to visit Baltimore. We're beginning to grow our sort of corporate sponsorship footprint. And we had a conversation with them about their social mission and what we could do to partner with them using our two brands collectively. And one of the areas that we brought up to them and they were very excited about is what if we could create a diversity apprenticeship program whereby we could identify uh, a young person, uh, specifically black, indigenous, a, a person of color from that community. Because as you know, Bill, that particular community is, is underserved here in the travel and tourism space, especially in the mid to upper management levels. And it's something that we need to have an eye on so we can change that outcome. Guinness got excited about that initiative and agreed to partner with us on this initiative. And uh, we announced it a couple weeks ago. And so really what it will be is a 600-hour apprenticeship program. Our goal is to identify two young folks per year that are interested in the travel and, and tourism footprint. And they will be in, immersed in three different communities. They'll spend some time at, at Guinness to learn the craft uh, beer. They are also spend time with Visit Baltimore and learn, learn our space. And then we'll introduce them to another a tourism space, i.e. could be a hotel, could be a convention center, just depends on the experience of the individual. And our commitment and Guinness's commitment is this is a five-year commitment. Again, we have to be sustainable and we have to be intentional. So over a five-year period, they're committing $150,000 to us, $30,000 a year. And our goal is to identify minimum of two young folks to go through this training. Visit Baltimore is all in on it. We think it's going to be great for our story. We have an education and training foundation, so this fits that mission as our give back opportunity. Definitely, we want to help to bring more people of color into our industry, so it fits that mission, and it fits what Guinness is all about. The real beauty of this, we're bringing another partner into this, and really your sponsor today, Searchwide Global. As an executive firm, uh, to Mike Gamble's credit, he and his team will partner with us on this one. And as these young folks go through this apprenticeship program, they will be guaranteed an employment, hopefully here in Baltimore, but somewhere in the U.S. at the conclusion of the program. So this, this is a big deal, Bill, that we're extremely excited about. I'm excited about it personally, and I'm, I'm very grateful and thankful to both Guinness and to, to search wide for, for partnering with us. Yeah, and that's the beauty of it. I mean, on, on the outside, I mean, obviously it's any apprenticeship program is what we really should be doing, but that there's a guarantee at the end of 600 hours being invested by these young people, that they know that this 600 hours is gonna score them a position somewhere. And, and hopefully you're right, hopefully it is Baltimore. Absolutely. But man, I, that's just the icing, right? That's the hook. We, I think it's great. No, thank you. We're, we're extremely excited about it. And it's something that needs to be done. And uh, we're committed to yeah. it. 
Well, and you know, we are too. And you know, thank you. I, I know that you were one of the uh, the committee that vetted the work that Mike Gamble and I did on the board diversity white paper that we uh, released right before the um, the annual convention. Absolutely. And you know, both Mike and I believe, and I know you do too, that it really has to start from the top. And so many of the boards that we work with don't have the diversity, and not just in ethnicity, in age or in others. You know, so few boards today have somebody in a wheelchair or are otherwise disabled. And I've, I've said it before on the show, my first bureau was in a real small suburban town outside of Chicago. And this wasn't my idea. I inherited her. But one of the best board members I ever had was in a chair. And just by virtue of having her at every meeting made my decisions on how I was going to market my community so much more on point because I would always look at her and realize, okay, you know, last year's visitor's guide didn't have a single person in a chair. We got to fix that because we have to be representative of our community. And so... Mike and I, you know, had that conversation, I think in June and we raced to get something together for the annual meeting. And, and thanks for all of your comments to make sure that it was on point. But, you know, this is something that I think we all have to, to take a, a role in and congratulations on all the work that you've done. It, it's long overdue and so needed, but before we let you go, we're going to have to get to that bonus round question. Yes, sir. <laughs> and, you know, we're both big fans of music. And one of my favorite questions when I find somebody who, who is a big fan of music, was what was your very first live concert? Mine was kind of embarrassing, but I'd love to hear what your first concert was. Well, I'm a big music guy, and I go across all genres. Um, I'm a big jazz guy, but I respect and love all. I'm like what Miles Davis said. I just like good music. Yeah. doesn't matter what the genre is. So back in the day, and I'm going to take you back. This is back in like the late 60s. Okay. I'm about eight or nine years old. And my mother takes me to a concert, my very first concert, and and it was to see the great godfather of soul, James Brown. Yeah, out. In 66, 67. And I go to this concert and it just blew my mind, Bill. I mean, oh, yeah. you see the godfather on stage, and then uh, your audience can go YouTube this, but one of his awesome songs is Please, Please, Please. And he mm-hmm. sang that song on stage, and his whole stick was he would just pass out like four or five times, and they'll put the cape on him, and he'll get up and sing. And I'm like, I'm a little dude, and I'm seeing this guy up on stage do all this stuff with some great music banging as well. My mind was blown from there. I'm like, this guy right here is the most awesome guy I've ever oh. seen in my life. And it, it changed my life forever after I saw that one, for sure. I mean, that would... That would blow a 21-year-old's mind. I'm, I can't even imagine at eight years old seeing the Godfather of Soul. Wow. Yeah, that, that was all-time classic, man. And uh, I'll never forget it as long as I live. And it was my, it was my first entree in the, going to live concerts. And it was my benchmark. Everything had to meet that point. Yeah, and I can't wait till that moment in time when we can get back in front of live music again, man. We, we so missed it. Uh, agreed, my friend. I can't wait. We need it for sure. We got to get the country reopened. I'm looking forward to that time. Yeah. 
well, hopefully it's sooner than later. And now with the vaccines in play, let's just pray that we can get them into as many people as possible. As we've been saying, mask up and vax up. Yeah, agree. Al, hey, it's been great. It, you know, our friendship has spanned over the years, and it's always great to see you at events uh, throughout the country. And uh, we hope that that happens again real soon, too. And uh, again, thank you for all the work that you've done on our industry's behalf on this very, very tough subject. So thank you. Thanks to the work that you do as well. Keep it going. We, we got to continue to help each other across the country in the DMO space. So whatever I can do to be a voice, I want to be there. But really, thank you for your work, for sure. Absolutely. And, and all the best for a great 2021. That's it for this edition of DMOU. Tell your friends and peers this is where the best and the brightest come to share their stories. It's DMOU.com. And thanks again to our sponsor, Searchwide Global, the premier executive search firm in the DMO space. If you're looking for a new opportunity or looking for the perfect candidate, call them. You can learn more at searchwideglobal.com. DMOPros.com is where you'll find links to our services for the DMO sector, links to the Z News, our Knowledge Bank videos, blogs, and the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as past episodes of DMOU. That's DMOPros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time.